Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I have a special guest with me today, a very special guest in my opinion. I have independent writer, Bon Vivant, can I use that word? (laughs) Uh, And just all around wonderful person, Kay West, with me today. And I met Kay as a food writer, but she writes in other categories as well. Hey Kay, how are you doing today? I'm good, Stu, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great and to see you. Thanks for having me here. I, I'm, I think I'm not quite as bon vivant as I used to be, but right. I'll do my best to be. Bon 2020 <laughs> took the bon vivant out of a lot of us, Kay. I mean, sure like, did, didn't it? <laughs> you and I met in 2019. Thank and, God, because otherwise we wouldn't have. Exactly. And I've, I, Speaking for myself, I feel like we hit it off right away. I was looking forward to yeah. many lunches and parties and stuff like that. And then 2020 came uh, and then everything COVID came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had just gotten here in 2019. So <clears throat> I fully moved in, in January, 2019. And so I think I met you, was it at the taste of Asheville? The first time I met you at the air thing? Yes, I still remember being out on the uh, out on the balcony and um, and eating. So, and you were with you know the guy that you do the food tours with. Anyway, Patty, was I was with Patty Riles. We were smoking yes. some weed out there on the balcony. Yes. And, well, I don't know about that, but um, well, we, I'll go. I don't. Off. I don't know anything about it either, Kay. It was, <laughs> it was weird, but yeah. there, there you came. You were being and, very bomby bonny out there. Exactly. That's one of my favorite festivals, actually, is the Taste of Asheville. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah, it was one of the best every year. Now, okay, let's back up a little bit. So you okay. moved here to Asheville from mm-hmm. where? where I you- moved here from Nashville, Tennessee. And I moved right. to Nashville from New York City. Okay. Um, so I was in Nashville for almost 40 years. That's a long ass time. <laughs> That's a long ass time. And um, it was <laughs> a little bit too long in my view. But anyway, I had moved down there. I was recruited to come down there by RCA Records uh, to work in publicity. I had been a journalist in New York. And um, at, that didn't really work out. <laughs> Just not good in a corporate environment. And, okay, um, I can see that. You know, publicity for a record label. Really, Sue, what that translates into is a lot of lying, quite right. honestly, because, right. you know, if you're, if you're doing PR for like one artist or one restaurant or one entity of some kind, and then you can choose like, I want to do this for something I really believe in. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it for record label, um, then you have to like promote everybody on that label, whether or not you think they're horrible or wonderful mm-hmm. or whatever. Anyway, it just didn't work out. I'm not a good liar. I can uh, dig it. And as somebody <laughs> who writes reviews on food, you just, yeah, yeah. You just you not a good liar. can't lie about stuff can't you don't lie. like. It's hard. Yeah. You know, here's my theory on that is that if you don't tell, like I used to say this about restaurant reviewing, if, you, if I don't tell the truth about unpleasant experiences, then no one's going to believe me about the pleasant experiences. Why should they? Right. You know, so mm-hmm. anyway, so I, yeah, I came down and then, and then thankfully um, I started writing again for the daily paper, the afternoon paper. And then in 1989, uh, the Nashville scene, which is the weekly uh, alternative paper started up and I was one of the first three writers there. And then in 1992 is when I started writing food weekly restaurant reviews Okay. For the scene and did that for 15 years. So this That's was all freelance. It was a long time. It was, long awesome. time. it was a lot of words too. I mean, 1500 words every single week for 15 Dang. years. Yeah. Didn't miss a week, not a single week. Okay. I always say if, if you ain't writing, you're not a writer. And <laughs> That's so right. You're you gotta be writing. writing. Yeah. yeah. So I did. So what the interesting thing about so many interesting things about that, but you know, in 1992, um, the restaurant scene in Nashville is 
was not at all what it became, what it is now. And right. so at the time, it was sometimes tough to even find something fun and exciting and new to write about. Mm -hmm. um, there were very few, very, very few um, independently chef-owned restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, there were lots of uh, what they used to say in Nashville as firm bars and four stars. Um, so there were some, a couple of four star restaurants and then a lot of firm bars, a lot of Ruby firm Tuesdays bar. and, you know, those places. Yep, yep. And, um, and then gradually, I remember going on a trip to Birmingham with the architecture writer for the scene. Um, maybe it was the late nineties and I was going down to check out the restaurants. She was going down to check out some architecture. Southern living was based. I mean, you know, it was just a lucky trip. I mean, let's just face it. There was no reason really to write about it for the Nashville paper, but we did. Mm -hmm. And we went to some of the most incredible restaurants in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm thinking like, why does Birmingham, we're bigger, Nashville. Why does Birmingham have these great restaurants that Nashville doesn't have? And it came clear to me one morning on a run that it was because the restaurants we went to in Birmingham were all chef-owned independent okay. restaurants. And Nashville didn't have that at the time. Really, it would have been like 2000 Okay. that Nashville got some of its first. And a lot of them are still open now. Um, but that was, you know, that was pretty revolutionary. And it was also, they were opening, of course, in these neighborhoods that were, you know, uh, at the time they might've been considered undesirable by some people, um, mm -hmm. but they were what, they were urban neighborhoods. And mm -hmm. so they were what, you know, what people could afford. Right. What what those restaurants, because, you know, let's face it, banks don't want to give restaurant owners, they don't want to give chefs a loan. So you're finding the places. And then um, the other thing that happened at about the same time was um, the growth of ethnic restaurants in Nashville. Okay. Prior to that, there just hadn't been any of that. And so as the ethnic population grew in Nashville and they settled in different places around Nashville, of course, they opened restaurants. So that really changed what I was doing as far as restaurant criticism and restaurant writing went in that being able, you know, I would say that was maybe the late nineties, um, being able to really um, um, promote, you know, like support these mm -hmm. independent restaurants and, and not just that, but expose Nashvillians to places to eat that were not a chain freaking restaurant. Right. And so, I mean, I remember very clearly the first neighborhood that opened in my crappy neighborhood, what was called, what was considered then the first independent restaurant, a little place called Mirror. And, um, and as a little couple, they weren't little like diminutive, although they are sort of little, but, um, but they were, you know, completely <laughs> strapped for cash. I mean, and the neighborhood was so excited that, oh my God, we're getting a restaurant to grow with the murder market and the murder car wash and the, the dope filled park down the street and the empty lot <laughs> and all of that. It was like, oh my God, we're getting a restaurant. So they were opening on, wow, oh my God. I just realized July 4th, 2000. Really? Yes. And exactly 22 exactly years ago 22 today. Years ago, Colleen and Michael, big shout out to them. And wow. so, um, at the same time, the very same day, P.F. Chang's was opening their first restaurant in Nashville. And um, I mean, and I just thought like, it's a chain restaurant. It's a chain Chinese restaurant. Right. There were lines around the block starting at like nine in the morning for P.F. Chang's. And poor Michael and Colleen, oh my God, it was like if they'd given away money, maybe you could have gotten. <laughs> That's but, really funny. Yeah, I'm sure know, the right? local news reported on it on television on PS. Oh, it was it. like a big deal. And it's weird when that when chains open up around here, WLOS yeah. reports on it. Like it's, it's news and it's, it's like it's, it's just know, a chain. Like who all cares? that indicates yes, people really do care though. People totally I guess care. well, what I've noticed though about Asheville is how few if any, I mean, there's so few chain restaurants in the inner core. In downtown. In downtown. Yeah. And also, you know, around, like, I live in West Asheville. I mean, there's some fast food mm -hmm. places, but mm -hmm. I don't see, I mean, you know, I guess um, South Asheville. Can we say that without? Yeah, we can, can I say, say that without being? 
What we can say is anywhere there's a road system controlled by the state where the state ah. gives out the zoning, there are going to oh. be chain restaurants. And, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and those are places where the neighborhoods don't have any choice. So they can, a state right. road can go right through a neighborhood like Merriman yep. Ave is dotted yep. with chains. And that's because mm -hmm. the state controls Merriman Ave or maybe the feds, but not the city. Yeah, is the yeah, point. yeah. Um, and you're right. Like there's, there's three chains, like food establishments downtown yeah. that I always think of, okay. right away, which are Kilwin's Marble Slab and Ben and Jerry's and they also right. ice cream. So we ain't hating them. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. But and otherwise, then, you know, like people, like when, I mean, my neighborhood in Nashville completely flipped. It, it used to be known as the bad side of Belmont referring to the a main street that moved um that, mm -hmm. that divided um and then now it's known as 12 south a, a familiar neighborhood to every bachelorette that comes to nashville but it's also familiar to the sense of the um <clears throat> the restaurants that have opened you know when reese witherspoon opened her first store there gwyneth paltrow had her first pop-up there i mean it really become, i didn't know these people did those things yes they do and they put them in 12 south and then wow. you know so 12 south there's like that that point where there's like, yay, there's these independent restaurants opening and oh my gosh, we've got mirror and then we have a coffee shop and then we have another coffee shop and then a burger place and then a chain comes in. Mm. And you know, this was in an urban neighborhood. And so really when, when Bar Taco opened at the end of my street and became like this immediate, you know, Bafo success, right. which affected severely the quality of life of people living in the streets off of that which is interesting me. yeah <laughs> um, right yeah me among one of because people would you know they they provided no parking for their mm. for their staff oh, i mean right. yes it's one yeah. thing somebody's coming for like a couple of hours to eat great yay support the neighborhood support right. but they provided no parking for their staff so you'd have people parking on all the side streets for eight hour shifts and right. the people who lived in these houses that did not have driveways or garages or whatever yes. anyway I mean, my, my battles with bar taco people and sat were like legendary on facebook and so when people found out i was moving to Asheville, they said okay you know there's a bar taco there i said oh, that's no. right they i was about to ask if you knew they that closed. yeah they closed <laughs> so yeah. they closed i and know, you know Asheville's a place for me if they can't if they don't support bar taco then when I first moved to Asheville in 2005, there was a subway downtown right oh, across the street from where really? Yep, right across the street from where Chaipani is on Battery Park. <gasps> and uh, I used to go get coffee every day, just about at Old Europe, which used to be located right oh. next to Chaipani. Okay. And um, I would see the empty subway across the way, and I would think to myself, <laughs> "Why is there a subway in this town, which has all, even in 2005 had a lot of great restaurants?" Yeah. And, and then one day it closed, and I was oh, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this town can't support a subway. That this is, is the most awesome thing ever. The most awesome town ever." <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you know this, but Bartaco not only came to town and then immediately left, yes. but they came to town and both destroyed and repaired the building that they oh, occupied no. because that was a piece of authentic art deco. And <gasps> now it oh. looks like a hacienda. Oh, it does look like a hacienda. Yes, so they destroyed the art uh, deco building. It was really? a form of deco called streamline deco, uh, mm. most, yeah, mostly yeah. associated with diners and gas sure. stations. Yeah. Right, yeah, and, I was gonna uh, say like the hot stop that is now called. <laughs> right, right, which is yeah. a beautiful building as well. But um, so then, so they destroyed mm. the building, but they also repaired it because it had been like a auto repair shop, maybe way in course. the past, <laughs> and a dry cleaner for a long time. Ooh, environmentally, so it, was, that's tough. it was toxic. And, yeah. and so yeah. Bar Taco, not even kidding, they enshrouded this thing in plastic for over a year. Oh, God. Yeah. And they had a machine that ran 24 7 right out in front uh, or next to it. And I don't know what the machine was doing. Uh, we don't know. After we a year, Bar Taco opened, and I think it was less than a year later they closed. But they closed. Yep. Was it because people weren't supporting it? Um, the reason that I heard was okay. that um, it just wasn't making as much money as their other chain restaurants. Certainly not as much as the one in Nashville. Right. And so two hour they, waits. Yeah. And it was in a weird location for Asheville, which is the size of a dollop, right? It's tiny. Yeah. But yeah. 
people are weird, you know, it doesn't matter how small your downtown is, there's always an outer edge that people don't right. go to. <laughs> right, so yeah, like yeah. Right on the outer edge of Asheville. Now, yeah. of course, Ukiah, Japanese smokehouse, yeah. same space and crushing it. And crushing space. it, exactly. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I just, I mean, I guess, you know, sure, there are like, you always hear about curse locations. Right. And, you know, in some extent, to some degree that could be true, but then, you know, you're just, sometimes you just get the right concept or the right person or the right I agree. Uh, idea. And then it's not a cursed location anymore. I agree. I don't believe in curses. Yeah. I believe in poor locations, like someplace that's just right. in a bad location. But yeah. even that is not always a testimonial because speaking of change, yeah. we have two in Asheville that started in Asheville, which are white duck taco and Tupelo honey. Tupelo honey. And, White Duck Taco started in a neighborhood in the River Arts District. Right, where Baby no, Bull is now, no, right? Yes, and yeah. that neighborhood, no sidewalks, no other businesses <laughs> anywhere <laughs> near it. Like the worst possible the worst. <laughs> And now White Duck Taco has 10 locations. Yeah, and so yeah. they And like, Tupelo Honey, yeah. E even those things like bad location, if you have a great concept, people right. come. So yes. yes, the building was not cursed. The location was not... Right bad anybody with foresight could see that downtown mm -hmm. and the south slope were about to meet right at storm exactly right? storm is where it all yeah. meets and then yeah. that corner is going to blow up right yeah so. i want to do a story for eater on um places to eat in the south slope because i think and correct me if i'm wrong that for a, a while there it was more beer yeah places yeah. in south slope and it's been in the past few years, maybe. Yeah, I mean, restaurant. for a long time, it was like nothing but the prospect, right? The prospect okay. was the only thing, just a bar. Uh -huh. And uh, I might be exaggerating a little bit okay. about that. But then the breweries started to open. Right. But yes, now there's a lot of places to eat. There's yeah. um, Paisa. And Paisa, right. Harvest Pizza. Buxton Hall, of course. Mm -hmm. Buxton King, Hall, of King course. Of and um, and is uh, Vortex Donuts. Right, and the cheese shop, and the yes. coffee shops. Is, it, um, cheese shop. is Ukiah considered South Slope? Technically, everything south of Patton Ave in <laughs> is downtown is considered the South Slope, but right. I believe the South Slope neighborhood would start at um, Hilliard Street. Is mm -hmm. that what that's called, Hilliard Street? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that would include Ukiah. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to include it. Yeah, I think let's you include should. it. You could okay. even include Bramari, which is on the other side of Hill. Oh, okay. We'll include that too. Yeah. We get to make the boundaries too. We do. The show, you get to say. I do. And you're, and you're like uh, the <laughs> predominant food writer in this town. I don't know. In my about opinion, that. Kay. Oh, thanks. Steve. I want the world to know how great <laughs> this lady is and what she does for our food scene. Well, um, okay. so, Kay, it's, Where the now? Fourth, it's the 4th of July. It is. It is the, from what I understand, it's the one day of the year that is the worst day for restaurants because oh. it's the biggest eat at home day of the hmm. month. It's wow. the biggest backyard barbecue. Everybody comes right. over. So let's say you have 10 people over your house. It's 10 people that are definitely not eating out. Let's yeah. say everybody in your neighborhood's doing that. That's yeah. like 300 people who aren't eating out, Oof. you know? Yeah. So it starts to add up. So yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting when I heard yeah. there was a big debate. There's a, a Facebook group just for people who work in the industry. and F &B tribe? Yep. I love and that. Yeah, it's a very useful group. It's um, useful, can be dangerous. Oh, can a be little deadly. Bit. Yeah. Can be, go, go with <laughs> your hat in your quickly. hand, people. <laughs> Don't approach F&B with an attitude or Whenever any, I want to ask any, a question yeah, of them, I, I preface Woo. it by saying, please don't kill me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dear I hope you're not tribe, to say I hope you're having anymore. a good day. Oh yeah. 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 No, I got put in, I got put in time out for, Did you really? Uh, yeah. For saying I was like kidding with a friend of mine who had put up a, a video of her, you know, very ill older mother uh -huh. um, in the hospital. And I just said, you know, I would, kill my kids if they did this to me and i got put in as if i would kill my kids right anyway, well facebook yeah. jail i'm surprised facebook I haven't been jail there but yeah i do preface like anything i ask as which is so helpful because i ask them all like where is there this where do you think this is and they're great but i always do say like 
Okay, I understand this may be like brunch, maybe a controversial subject. Right, but... yeah. <laughs> Please don't flail me. Please don't. Um, Just tell me what your what what good places are. <laughs> but yeah, and the most you, I've seen a couple of really useful threads lately. Yes. One of them was about Fourth of July. Somebody okay. said we're usually closed on Mondays, right? Oh, That's a big day to stay. True, true, Anyways, true, true. And asked. Uh, but it's the 4th of July. We're thinking yes. we might open up and, and kill it. And the, yeah. and <laughs> almost to a person, they were like, don't, don't, don't do it. It's don't dead. Do it. Nobody comes downtown. But with mm-hmm. that knowledge, yes. any restaurant downtown that is open is yeah. going to be the only game in town. So True. they will, hopefully the few restaurants that are open will do a very good business today. I, I believe Twisted Laurel is open because they're okay. right downtown where the okay. fireworks will happen. True. And they're, they're not usually open on Mondays. Oh, so they're so, like, they're flipping yeah. the strip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good so, for them. How about our food scene being able to pivot like that at all times, Kay? Man, you know, so, so when I came here, so let's, I don't know if you want to go back. I want to say one thing about the 4th of July. Okay. Um, and that is, um, so when I was in Nashville, um, we had, you know, obviously Nashville is the home of the indes- Beautiful headquarters of hot chicken. It is the birthplace of hot chicken. Yes. It is the world headquarters of hot chicken. We all owe a debt of gratitude. Yes, that's right. That's right. And chicken. you know, we always get we all get a little bit irritated when other places like say they have Nashville style hot chicken. It's like no, uh-huh. you don't. It's yeah. like we have Philly style cheesecakes. Yeah, I was gonna say, no, you do same, not. Yeah, you do right, not. Just right. stop it. Take those words out of your mouth right now. Right. But um. So in Nashville, you know, I wrote about hot chicken a lot and, um, but we had something, it started, oh, I don't know, well, now 16 years ago. The mayor at the time was a huge proponent of hot chicken. And so he wanted a festival to celebrate mm-hmm. hot chicken on the 4th of July, because, you know, when is a better time to have hot chicken than the hottest damn day of the year, oh, yeah, 4th of July. Right? And yeah. like, there were all kinds of things for like the, like the sort of wealthy-ish neighborhoods in Nashville where they had their, you know, big 4th of July parades and all the kids would decorate their bikes and have cook it, whatever. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the idea for this was to have it in East Park, which is in East Nashville and this hot chicken festival. So I was on that committee. I mean, his last day in office, he called about 10 of us down to his office to say he was doing this and he, and he wanted to make sure it continued and we're going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. So the first year that we had the hot chicken festival, so I was on the steering committee. I was in charge of vendors and, and um, the cooking contest and free samples. Good God. Um, oh, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Well, <laughs> like the first year we had, um, I don't know, maybe there was like 5,000 people. It's just a four hour thing. It's in a park. It's a great turnout. It was turnout. a beer tent. It was like, awesome. you know, yeah. it was, it, it was fun. It wasn't, but what, Nashville has such weird rules about their parks is that we couldn't have, um, we couldn't, you, there was a beer tent where you'd get your beer and then there was a chicken places on the park spread throughout the park where you get your chicken, but you could not take your beer out of the beer tent because okay. you couldn't walk around the p- grounds of the park with a beer, God forbid, oh, who yeah, knows yeah. what might happen. Good right. God, so right? anyway, oh, what we God. eventually had to do, was fence in the entire park, like with this, those orange construction fences. So we got uh-huh. this big construction company to donate it. And so the first year that we had what we called free range beer, where people could actually walk around the park with their nice. beer. Solutions. Was, yes, we had like maybe 14,000 people that year. And it was just crazy to us because like oh, you can go get hot chicken any day, but these yeah. people come and like stand in line for two hours. I mean, it was just fun. It was a fun festival, fun, fun, yeah. fun. Um, it was a lot of work for those of us <laughs> working on it, setting it up. And But my first year here, and it was the 4th of July and I didn't really, I didn't really know anybody. I really didn't know very many people. And mm-hmm. that was 2019. So my, I, my thing was like, I went like Rockies. I can I can smell Rockies from my office window right now because I'm in West Asheville and I can basically see the Rockies sign on Patton from my window, the top of the Rockies sign. So I went over to Rockies and got some hot chicken and uh, and had a Yazoo beer, which was our beer sponsor, and sat on my deck and did hot chicken and beer in honor of the Music City Hot Chicken Festival. And you know, I have to say, like Rich uh, from Rockies is like. 
like, oh, wow, like, what do you think of our hot <laughs> chicken? Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of hot chicken, and Rocky's gets it closest to right of any place outside of Nashville. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh, right? And Listen to this. this is some in Nashville. Like, so so funny. My the closest. Only, that's, a, that's the best somebody from Nashville can do. Right? Like, that is my endorsement. Closest. Yeah, chicken. They're closest to what <laughs> Prince's, which is Prince's is the inventor, and Rich knows this because we've talked about it many times. Uh-huh. Prince's is the originator. It's the king. Prince's okay. hot chicken is the king of hot chicken. Yeah. And, um, and it's the closest to Prince's that I've tasted outside of Nashville. Um, the only thing is that it's just the heat level is way lower. Um, and you, you've gone it, Rocky's hot? Yeah, yeah, I have gone You've hot. gone all the way to the top. Yep. Um, um, yes. That's remarkable because I, I have people tell me all the time, like, <laughs> oh my God, I, I accidentally, I, I went Rocky's Accidentally. <laughs> no, they did it on purpose, but they didn't realize how hot yeah. it was. Oh. And they're like, yeah. ah, super. And I was like, and, and you had regrets. And they were yeah. like, yeah, I did. Yeah. I, hot like i don't go rocky's hot i go hot. so it's amazing that you but, feel like the rocky's hot is not mm-hmm, even hot but enough. it's not as hot and, not as hot but it's hot enough for so. you. yeah well the, it's you know it's hot it's 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 how hot. do you order rocky's do you get rocky's hot i get rocky's hot okay mm-hmm. well you're yeah. made of tougher stuff than well you know 99 percent uh, of the people that uh, i've met Mayor Purcell, the founder of the Hot Chicken Festival, has always uh-huh. said, it's hot chicken, not medium chicken. Oh, right? oh <laughs> this guy. I hope on his Wikipedia page, it literally describes him as the founder of the hot chicken. Oh, I, it does. Oh, it's, it is like one of his greatest claims to fame. I was just checking out the Facebook page today to see what they're up to. And there he is. Bang. Like He leads the parade. He, he owns a couple of um, vintage fire trucks. And um, he leads the parade right before the Hot Chicken Festival that has like the Nashville Roller Girls and marching bands and the fire trucks. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, He sounds like quite a character. I might need to learn more about this guy. He's quite a character. And he's also brilliant. I mean, he's like a Harvard and Yale professor and like all this stuff. Anyway, yeah. So that's that's what I do for the 4th of July. Okay, what was the question? (laughs) Okay, well, I don't remember what the question was, (laughs) but uh, we're running out of time. Okay. Can I... Can I say something about food restaurants in Asheville? Yes. Let me say something about the 4th of July first. Oh, yeah. Please. Let me just say that it's been, and I know you agree with this, and then we'll move right on. Yes. It's a little tough this year to celebrate the 4th of July it, on the yeah. heels of a decision that just mm-hmm. robbed about 50% mm-hmm. of our population of I'm boycotting. autonomy over their own bodies. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that. And yep. now, what were you about to say about food, Kay? Um, okay. So, um, you know, I think we, you and I have talked before about you know, the food scene in Nashville, the food scene in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, in Nashville, you know, I wrote about it even after reviewing for 15 years. I continue, I just got, I just couldn't find one more thing to say about salmon um, that was clever and interesting, <laughs> right? So I couldn't review yeah. on a weekly basis anymore, right, but I continued right. to write about food. I continued uh-huh. to write about food for several different places. Okay. And it was, but it was more, it was not reviews. It was more profiles. And um, so anyways, when I was moving here, um, two things happened. So first, I didn't really, I'd been here in 1980 or 81. It's under dispute with my best friend, which okay. what year we actually came here. Yeah. Um, but we know we went to a tourist game. We know we went somewhere downtown where there was square dancing and barbecue. Um, okay. We ate at the Esmeralda Inn also. I don't know. Um, wow, well, the 80s were... Uh, Which is much different time here in Asheville. Very different time. Much different time. Yeah. So when I was getting ready to move here or thinking of moving here, you know, I put out the Facebook world like, hey, I'm going to, because I was going to come stay for a few days. Like, where should I, anybody know where I should eat in Asheville? Well, I just got like bombarded with suggestions from people like, oh, you have to go here, Asheville. Like, all these people that had been to visit here in the last 10 years right, when right. I had not been here that were just like, oh, you have to go to this place and this place and this place and this place. I was like, holy crap. This is like, I had no idea there was such yeah. a big restaurant scene here. Explosion. So I got here and, uh, you know, went to a few places. And then um, when I was, before I even moved here, I was wanting to, I had stopped writing in Nashville for a couple of years because I was doing some other things, but then but okay, we to... have five minutes. I okay. just want to so what I want to do is move here and start writing again. So the thing was when I met with mountain express, the publisher, we were meeting before I started writing for them. 
and talking about food. And he said, well, you know, we don't do restaurant reviews. And I was so shocked. I said, you know, why not? And mm-hmm. he said, well, we think they lead to hurt feelings. Well, yeah, they probably do. If you're being critical, you know, honestly, if you're being honest, they probably do. I mean, I did critical reviews when I lived in Nashville, but I never did snarky reviews. And I don't think you'll find any chef, even the ones that I did critical reviews of, that would say I was not fair. Mm-hmm. And that didn't take some of the things I said. But what I'm going to say is that the actual restaurant scene showed to me that sort of restaurants are the same everywhere. Like restaurant owners and chefs are the most generous and giving and wonderful people in the world. When COVID hit mm-hmm. and every one of them here and in Nashville, like kicked into gear, like how can we give? I mean, they were struggling to open their own business, keep their businesses going, but also like, how do we feed people? How do we support our farmers? How do we do all this? And it just blew me away watching what was happening here in a, in a landscape that I didn't really know very well yet. Yeah. And also seeing like being so sad for what was happening to my friends in Nashville, but it was just so heartening to see that community and that generosity. And it's like, it's hospitality. I know, I think you're watching, you said you're watching the bear. Yeah. And you watch this, like, like you look at it and go, why in the world would anybody do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. But they do well, it because of, they have this generosity that's just. Hospitality is its own reward, I have found. Yeah. And yeah. so, well, okay, you, you absolutely showed up to Asheville during the worst year ever for Asheville's food scene, but you also in relation to what you said, you showed up in one of the best years because we really found out oh. that all the talk about we're a family, we're a community. It's yes. easy to say that during it's the good true. times and you mm-hmm. don't realize it until the bad times. Yep. But I got to wrap up. Uh, okay. Kay, it's been great having you on. I'd love to have you on again to talk well, about food yeah. with you. Let's, talk, let's do it I'm again so and talk about new things Yeah. and um, so new here. places and, and, and people that bug us. No, that's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> all right Kay. thank uh, you it's Sue. great to see you happy um whatever this day used to be called yeah before. yeah, yeah well, we, can, we can do better america we can let's do better it. america it's, a, it's yeah. a great idea let's try to get it right <laughs> let's get it back there yeah. okay thanks right, Kay. Sue. take care and thanks Bye-bye. for walking me through this technology craziness appreciate oh, you it bet. yeah okay all right Bye-bye. have a good day bye-bye yeah. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I just wanted to record a little segment about a fantastic food tasting I did in the last, it took two days. I did it yesterday and today, and I did this food tasting at French Broad Chocolate Lounge. Now, I think I just probably said something that would be a dream come true for about half or more of Asheville and the surrounding areas, a tasting at the French Broad Chocolate Lounge. Now, if you are not from the area and you're listening to this and you don't know what the French Broad Chocolate Lounge is, French Broad is just a a phrase that gets used around here because we have a river called the French Broad River. And uh, the French, so you have French Broad Food Co-op and French Broad this, French Broad that, and we have the French Broad Chocolate Lounge. Now, they make fantastic chocolates and they've been making some of Asheville's favorite chocolates for a good long time now. Over a decade, I'm going to say, and I think I'd be about right with that. You can correct me if you hear this and you want to leave a comment. Um, so, been a longtime favorite of mine. Used to bring food tours in there three or four times a week. It was always one of the favorite stops on the tour. Uh, usually a big line out the door all summer. And in addition to their truffles and their their hot liquid truffle that is so famous and their ice creams, and all of that, they have a line of desserts. And apparently the desserts were getting some negative feedback from their customers. And so they had a tasting and they picked, it was so cool. They picked all of the tour companies or some of the tour companies. There's a lot of them in this town. So they picked a handful of the tour companies and invited us, the tour guides, to come do a tasting and give them some really specific and detailed feedback. And so that was a really great thing to be invited to. And so my 
partner at Asheville tour uh, Asheville food tours, Patty Riles and I, we showed up and there were a bunch of other tour guides there. And for one thing I want to say, French broad chocolates did a wonderful, wonderful job of setting up these tastings. So as I said, there were two, I got an invitation via email that said, we're doing a dessert menu tasting. We want your feedback. We're doing it starts at 11:30 on Thursday and Friday and I assumed along with some other people come to find out that it would be the same tasting on both days and they were giving you a choice on which one to come to so I chose the first one Thursday and I'm glad I chose that first one because it turns out they were doing two tastings on two different days and they were asking us to come to both and so and that's because there's just a lot of desserts to try so they wanted they didn't want to kill us and it was great. Was, I'd never been to two tastings two days in a row at the same place or at even two different places. So that was a lot of fun. And I want to say that they just did a wonderful job setting up the actual tastings with a full-sized version of how the desserts would be served. So for example, one of them was their called their quintessential chocolate cake. And so there was a plate with a beautiful slice of their chocolate cake on it with some smear of chocolate on the plate and uh then there were a bunch of small samples and each sample was not just a slice of a, a piece of this larger cake cut up each sample had everything that the cake had so the cake for example had some chocolate curls on top you know like a wood chip but made out of chocolate and um and so each of the samples was sure to have one of those right on top. So each sample not only had every flavor that would be in the the full-sized piece, but also looked really cute in and of itself. So I want to commend the Chocolate Lounge on how they set up their tasting. There was one of everything to take a picture of, and I got some beautiful pictures of the food, uh, the food being beautiful, the pictures just being with an iPhone. And, uh, and, and then having the bite size taste so that you could get the whole thing in one bite was just fantastic. So kudos on the setup. And now let me just tell you that we tried over the course of two days, we tried 13 desserts and they, they were very open with us. They had a form online to fill out. And on the form, it said, our desserts have been giving, getting some negative feedback. And they were real specific about it. The cake, the people are saying our cakes are dry. People are saying desserts, quote unquote, aren't special. Uh, and the price point is too high. Um, and so I'm going to say price point being too high, you're going to hear that from people no matter where your price point is. If you hear it too much, then that's a concern perhaps, but people don't like paying money for anything. And so there, there's a certain portion of society that's always going to complain about the price of everything. So that one got to kind of take it with a grain of salt in terms of the cakes being dry. They, part of the questionnaire was did our new menu or our revised items from our previous menu, there were both new items and revised items. Did they address the questions or complaints? And yes, we tried one, two, three, four, five different cakes and they were all moist and delicious and fantastically good. So did the new cakes address that concern with the Custies? Yes, they do. So mission accomplished with those. And then like in terms of did they look special, the cakes in particular looked very special and some of the other desserts looked very special too. So let me go through, uh, as I said, we got 13 desserts. I'm gonna just read off of the list uh, of the 13 that we had and then I'll talk about some in particular and then uh, I'll wrap up. So the quintessential chocolate cake, as I mentioned, there was an, a chocolate espresso cheesecake, a salted caramel popcorn cake, a carrot cake, a pretty basic carrot cake, and a flourless chocolate tort. There was also a chocolate mousse, a coconut raspberry panna cotta, and a chocolate creme brulee. And that was in the custards and creams section of the tasting. And then for cookies and brownies, we had a stout brownie made with stout beer, a chocolate cherry almond cookie, a salted caramel fudgy brownie, and a nibby chocolate chip cookie wedge. 
wedge being the key word there. And then um, uh, finally, a lavender hibiscus macaron, not to be confused with a macaroon. So uh, that's what they offered us, a lot of stuff. I'm glad they split it up into two days because even though we didn't eat full-size portions or even finish every bite-size portion, it was a lot of sugar, it was a lot of food, it was first thing in the morning. So I was glad they split it up into two days. So let me just talk about first the quintessential chocolate cake. It's like a three-layer chocolate cake with chocolate frosting and chocolate shavings on top, and it's fantastic. Like, boom, you're not going to get a better piece of chocolate cake in this town. I just think it's fantastic chocolate cake. So go try it for yourselves. And uh, they were asking us if we thought that the size was good. And I said for most of the desserts, I said that the size was good to share with at least one other person. But a lot of them were too big for just one person. Some of them weren't, like the creme brulee was okay for one person. The raspberry coconut panna cotta was okay for one person. The carrot cake was reasonable for one person, although also good to split. But things like the chocolate mousse, there was a lot of chocolate mousse for one person, mousse being very, very rich. So, but the cho quintessential chocolate cake, I say go there, split it with your uh, significant other or just a friend or a business partner or whoever you want, split it with another person and have a cup of coffee and it's going to be a great, great dessert for you. And then the chocolate espresso cheesecake was also very excellent. It was a lighter, more fluffy cheesecake, not a super dense cheesecake. And after eating a lot of chocolate, it was at first my mouth was like, oh, weird. What's that flavor? Oh, it's coffee. And at first it was like clashing a little bit with what my mouth had been experiencing with the chocolate, but it got used to it right away and it was delicious. So really recommend that. I think most of these things, if not all of them, will end up on the menu. They did ask us on the questionnaire, which of these things would you eliminate if you had to? But I'm going to say all or most of them will end up on the menu if they're not already there. Some of them are already there. Uh, next on the list, the salted caramel popcorn cake. That was the most craziest one of all. And I guess that one would be on the menu for people who don't like chocolate right? There are, you come in with your friend group and somebody doesn't feel like chocolate, doesn't want chocolate, might even be allergic to chocolate. And here's this delicious and beautiful, probably the most interesting looking cake of them all, this salted caramel popcorn cake. And it came with pieces of salted caramel popcorn from Poppy uh, and company, the uh, local popcorn people. Local popcorn people, um, a lot of peas in there. And um, so that was delicious. I recommend that. And it came, it was great because it came with like a little espresso cup that had some extra pieces of poppy popcorn in it. So you could, you, you had the piece on top, which you got, and then you could continue to add the crunch to the cake by popping more popcorn in your mouth. The carrot cake, I'm not a huge fan of carrot cake in general. I say like, if I want salad, I'll eat salad. When I want cake, I want cake. That's a joke. Uh, and, um, but I am not the hugest fan of carrot cake. Sometimes it can be overspiced. Other times it can be great, like just bad. Uh, but this was perhaps the best carrot cake I've ever had. It was moist, delicious, sweet, but not too sweet. The cream cheese frosting was likewise kind of tart from the sour, from the cream cheese it was kind of sour from the cream cheese and kind of, and kind of sweet but not too sweet and it was fantastic i would definitely go back for this cheesecake which i don't normally say about cheesecake and i would also recommend it to everybody and speaking of best thing ever of something i don't usually like the flourless chocolate tort when i see those three words on a menu i get ptsd because i have had so many bland boring way too dense cold hard awful flourless chocolate torts in my life. I just kind of never want to see another one again, but they have to be on menus for people who want chocolate, but are gluten-free. And so I respect that they kind of need to be on a menu. They're a go-to for those people. This was the best one I've ever had. Like it melted in my mouth. It was served, all of the cakes and stuff were served room temperature. So keep that in mind. Like that adds to the deliciousness factor for sure. If you get a cold piece of cake, in my opinion, depending on the kind of cake, but most cakes are not going to be as good served cold as they will be at room temperature or maybe slightly lower than room temp. Um, so I really recommend this 
this uh, flourless chocolate tort. It was really, really good. And I almost never say that about flourless chocolate tort. Now let's move on to the custards part. The custards were not as many grand slams out of the park as I felt like the cakes were. The, um, the chocolate mousse was delicious and uh, they were all delicious. Let me say that flavor wise, they were all on point. And there was the chocolate mousse, the coconut raspberry panna cotta and the chocolate creme brulee. Let me say that of the three, the chocolate creme brulee was my most favorite flavor and texture wise. The creme brulee was creamy as can be. It was not too stiff, which I cannot stand when I get creme brulee and it's as stiff as pudding almost like jello brand pudding you know uh but no this was creamy as can be and had a very thin crispy layer of the brulee sugar on top and it was perfect now it was kind of ugly to look at and i will say that to me creme brulee is almost always really ugly to look at and yeah you can dress it up with some fruit or god forbid a, a leaf of lab a sprig of lavender i hate that don't add lavender to my creme brulee please but uh, it's just kind of an ugly thing. And I looked up, I Googled it after the tasting and there's, there's really no beautiful creme brulee out there. Nobody's making like creme brulee art or whatever, like they do with lattes, but I would love to see that. Um, so the creme brulee, not the most attractive, but one of the most delicious of all the desserts we tried. And then um, the coconut raspberry panna cotta, that is their vegan offering. I'm going to say vegan, non-chocolate. They, Got to have, like, in addition to the chocolate, they have to have non-chocolate. They also have to have ones that address dietary issues. And so this, like, I'm going to guess is their vegan one. And while the flavor was on point, the texture was slightly off for me. Again, I'm super picky about my panna cotta. Panna cotta literally means cooked cream. And so it should be very, very creamy. And this was just a little stiff. And, it's, and it had texture. And I don't like texture in my panna cotta. I like it to be just as smooth as can be. But the flavor was on point, especially the brightness of the berries was really nice. And then the chocolate mousse, as I said, was delicious. It came with like a chocolate covered cocoa dusted roasted hazelnut on top. And I thought that was a nice touch. I, I mentioned on my form that more of that kind of crunch would have been necessary had I had a full-sized version of it because the sample came with the, the nut on top, but so did the full size just came with one nut on top. So I know that if I had ordered that as a customer, I would have been craving more of those nuts or just some ground nuts or whatever on top of there to add more crunch. And I will say for all three of the custards, they suffered a little bit from the vessels that they were served in. They were not served in any kind of special uh, glassware or, or um, pottery or whatever uh, ceramics. The, creme de brulee the it the chocolate creme brulee it was served in one of those brulee things seen a million of them they're fine they're the standard they're not special the chocolate mousse was served in a what looked like a water glass to me i told them that it i just said it deserves a nicer vessel and the same with the panna cotta it was served in a stemless wine glass and i thought mm, this would have been really clever had there been a wine element to it like if it was like a sangria panna cotta or whatever then the wine glass would have fit but otherwise again i didn't feel like this the glass the vessel was elegant enough for the item inside um and then let's move on to brownies and cookies and again the cakes were the standout for sure, and especially in terms of appearance, because they, you can't really dress up a lot of brownies and cookies before you're just getting stupid. But uh, the, all of the food, everything, the flavor was on point. The only complaints I had about any of the following were that the brownies were more fudgy than brownie. And I feel like a brownie should be somewhere between cake and fudge. And these were definitely skewing hard towards fudge. Uh, the flavor was good on all of them, but that the texture did not meet my expectations for brownies. And um, the, the cookies, the chocolate almond cookie flavor was great. I made some suggestions about bigger pieces of almonds and stuff, you know, just minor suggestions. And then the nibby chocolate chip wedge was actually really, really delicious. It seemed to have a salty element on top as well. My only suggestion there, and this might seem like a weird one, and Patty even asked me if I thought it was weird because he felt the same, but there was just too much chocolate and not enough cookie. 
And I would have liked more cookie to chocolate ratio in that chocolate chip cookie wedge. But other than that, it was really tasty. And the texture on that one was great. And then finally, the lavender hibiscus macaron was maybe the prettiest thing of all. And it was gorgeous. And you can see pictures of all of these things on my Facebook page, which is Stu Helm Food Fan, you know, the facebook.com slash Stu Helm Food Fan. And there's pictures of all of this up there. But hibiscus macaron was very, very, very delicious. It had a creamy filling that was perfect. The cake on, or the cookie, quote unquote cookie part on the outside, which is made out of almond flour. So it is gluten-free, another gluten-free offering. Uh, if, if you like macarons, and most people do, very few people I've encountered don't like macarons, you'll, you're going to love this macaron. It is very sweet. I am going to say that. And the, the sample size was the size of what we picture in our head as a normal size macaron, just about the size, uh, circumference of an Oreo and a little thicker than that, like a double stuff Oreo or maybe a triple stuff Oreo. Uh, and, um, but the, the one that you would get is larger, like, the size of almost a small hamburger or slider. And so just keep that in mind. Most of the desserts were the right size to share. I said that over and over again on my form. So that, that's the breakdown on what we did at our tasting. And I gave you guys a little insider uh, scoop on critique of, of these things. Now, you know me, I'm not usually criticizing food or plating or anything out loud in public because it's uh, my role is to be more positive about things in this town. But uh, they asked for critique and I felt like my critique was fairly mild. So I don't mind sharing it with y'all. It'll be interesting to see what the result of these two tastings are. I don't know how other people reacted to the things. We did not have a lot of cross discussion between us about how we felt, you know, in terms of the tour guides, but it was a fun and interesting tasting. And I commend French broad chocolates on the way they set it up and on how amazing everything was. The cakes alone are fantastic. I'm saying pretty much don't change a thing about those cakes, maybe small tweaks to other things, or maybe not, what do I know? So there you go. Uh, maybe your industry will be invited to a tasting someday. It's, I've never been to one where it was just tour guides. Usually it's food writers and food scene luminaries. So a little bit different, but you want, Like you don't always just want food writers and stuff to give your opinion because they can get a little too in their head about it. And they've had a lot of food experience. And I'll tell you, food writers, we get a little bit weird. We do. I can't even help it. Uh, So you do want to talk to just general public and eaters as well. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. And I'm going to wrap up not just this segment of the podcast, but I'm going to add the end of the radio show to this segment too. So thanks for listening on WPVM 103.7 FM the progressive voice of the mountains. And thanks WPVM for uh, hosting my show. I appreciate you. Y'all can catch me on Facebook at Stu Helm food fan, and as well as Instagram and Twitter at the same, I have a Substack newsletter. Please sign up for that. It's free unless you want to pay. And when you pay, you help to keep me an independent food writer. All right, everybody have a great week and I will talk to you real soon. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.